You guys look good. It's good to see you guys. Let me just tell you, if this is your first time at Fathom, welcome. Like, you picked a great place to be on Sunday, May 18th. You picked an amazing place to be. This is a place where you can know two things. Like, you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to be challenged to grow in your faith. And you're also going to become a, a part of a family that you can really grow in relationship with. Because we think that really our walk with Jesus is, is really evident sometimes in our relationships with others. It's a, it's a iron sharpens iron is what one of the, the scriptures says. So we're just glad you're here. Uh, I just hope you enjoy your stay today and hope you get a chance to make some relationships. We've got lots of fun things planned today. Uh, but we're just going to dive in, into the Lord's word today. And I'm excited to, um, to, to just open up the scriptures because I think God can do a lot more. Um, for us than I ever could, and, and so I'm going to do my best to just move out of the way, and just let God speak through his scriptures today, but let me catch you up. If you haven't been with us, this is your first time, or you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, um, enjoying this beautiful weather, let me catch you up on what this, the church series has been about. We started the journey at, uh, a few weeks ago, right after Easter, because that's kind of apropos to what we see in scripture after Jesus was resurrected. He had not only put uh, people in place like Peter and said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, but we see some really incredible things happen in the early church, and, and, and we just wanted to dive into that and see what that looked like, and we looked into Acts chapter 2 as God had poured out his spirit in just really a supernatural way, and that people from all over the world that spoke different languages, who believed in different things, had come to one place and had encountered God in a really supernatural way in which they understood each other in the language, and God's presence was so powerful that it was like a rushing wind. It, it was a, a vibrant kind of earthquake type feeling what God was doing in that place. I mean, supernatural. And uh, we, we look towards the very end of that, and we see that they, God was adding to their number daily, and we see that, uh, that they, they met together regularly. They met in people's homes, like we do with our anchor groups. So there's a great anchor group pl- plug. That was what the early church was doing. And so uh, they met together, and they, they broke bread, which we'll do today in communion. They, they prayed together, which we've done today, we'll continue to do today, which we do in our anchor groups. Uh, they, they, um, they sat at the apostles' feet for teaching. And then this first thing that we looked at was fellowship. And I think that's, we kind of can get the other ones right, but we miss the true meaning of fellowship in that we are participants in, in, with what God is doing, and our, our really fellowship ground is at the point of Jesus, and that we're all broken, and we all come from our flaws, but in Jesus we're found, we have a new identity, and we have, that's where our fellowship is. It's not in whether we like all the same music or, or any other kind of starting ground, but it's in Jesus is really where it is. So when we join together, it's really about that. It's fellowshipping with Jesus together, and that's what it's all about. So it gives a deeper understanding in a way that we can come to a gathering like this and never leave unsatisfied, because we haven't come to hear from a speaker or to get good coffee, which I'm pretty stoked. We're starting to roast our own coffee blend here, so who knows, before long we might have our own coffee shop or something. Um, or to hear music, but we've gathered around the feet of Jesus together to confess our dying need for a Savior. And, and so we look deeper into that, and basically that our identity is wrapped up in Christ. And our identity is also wrapped up in the church. So we kind of started this journey, if we're just going to work our way through the Trinity, identity in Christ. The second week we looked at the Father, and that God loved the world, that he gave his only son. We look at the heart of a father as a giver, and that if we're going to do something significant on this earth, that we've got to learn to be givers. And if we're going to know God's heart and love what Jesus loves, 
then we've got to become extravagant, cheerful givers because that's who God is. And the reason why Jesus talks about money more than anything else is because he knows it's close to our heart. And he wanted to get to that. And so we talked about the, the principle of tithing. So we talked about the identity in Christ. And then we looked at the heart of a father. And so today, if, if you know what the Trinity is, we're, we're looking to the third person of the Trinity and the Spirit and what that looks like in, in our day and age right now, what God wants to do and how it involves us in the process to be a part of the gospel. Um, so just give you a brief uh, description on what the Trinity is. I can do it in 30 seconds. You're like, hey, that sounds really intense. So the Trinity is just this, it's a three-person Godhead uh, that we look at, and that sounds really weird, Godhead. You think of like, a, um, like some kind of weird thing that has three heads, right? My, my son has a, a stickers of Elmo on the, the fridge on something, and like somehow he ripped off three Elmo bodies, and, and one Elmo has three heads, and it's super creepy. Every time I look up there, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's weirding me out. Let's take that down. No, Trinity is best described, I think, in just a very simple way of looking at what surrounds us and what we live in. We live in time and we live in matter. So you guys just got, it got really deep really quick, right? So time is broken up into three elements, right? Past, present, and future, but it's still all time. And, and so if we see if God's spanning those, he's time, but he has these three distinctions, like, like time. And then if, or if we look at matter, if it has gas, liquid, and, um, and solid, you know, all of what the matter we live in, um, some scientists out there will add plasma to it, but um, some of you guys were already looking at it like, you better say plasma, because plasma is also a per- piece of matter. I don't even know what plasma is, other than like what they take out of your blood or something like that, I don't know. Um, but, and, and now the doctors in the house are looking at me like, you don't know what plasma is? That eat plasma either, so I don't know anything about plasma. But the Trinity is uh, just th- this same idea with matter is that there's three different essences. There's three different distinctive personal natures of God. So that just kind of sets the definition for it. And so we'll go forward today and just look at how we are participating. The Spirit is embodying us and empowering us to live out His, ca- um, his call in our life and His purpose here in this earth um, it's funny how, how we assign labels to people. I don't know if you've done this. You probably did this today. You probably did this with me. First time you met me, if we haven't met before, just looking up here. We assign kind of labels to people, and uh, labels are assigned to us. You see somebody with a big truck, and they're wearing a hat, and they've got boots coming out. Your first thought is they're redneck. They like country music. There's labels, right, that come with that, and some of them for good reason, because what gets out of the truck but a redneck, you know. Um, you know, and, and then you may look up at me and, and think, you know, he doesn't own a razor, he doesn't own a comb, and, and if you're thinking that, you're, you're right, I don't, I don't own either one of those. I haven't used a comb in like uh, 15, 14 years, something like that, to my hair. Um, so you're exactly right. But we assign those labels, and some of those cut deeper. Some of those are, uh, are more strangling than others. Uh, and we've carried them since our elementary years. We've carried them since middle school when someone called us something. We carry these labels. And a part of the journey as, as Christians is, is understanding that we have a new name. We have a new identity in Christ. We're going to look into the text here in just a second and look at that. And not only is our identity wrapped up in, in Christ, but it's wrapped up in, in the body, his church. And that's one of the, the, the struggles that we've been working through is how we want to have this relationship with Jesus, but we don't want to have a relationship with his church. And, and, and I said it in the first week that you can't host the groom and not host the bride. You can't take the head and not have the body. 
It's one in the same. God God wants, uh, he is working through the body of Christ. And and if we want to love what Jesus loves, we've got to fall in love with the church. And so that's kind of been this journey we're going on. So we're going to go deeper today. And I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Because it's one of the elements in which we started this journey. As I gave you a, a kind of a four-part definition about what the church is. The first thing that we, we looked at is the church is the body of Christ. We're the body. He's the head. We're the body. The second part uh, a definition we looked at is that the church is the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The third one, that the church is diverse. And, and the fourth one, that the church is the light of the world. So we kind of set those four definitions moving forward. And I wanted to hone in on the second one in Ephesians chapter 2 today as we look at the spirit. And look at what God wants to do in us and through us. And this idea of the church is, is the dwelling in which God lives by spirit. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. Also members of his household. Well, it's the first thing. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. It's funny how, and if any of you, I'm guessing you probably got here because you did some quote-unquote church shopping. You were looking for a church home, and whether this was the first one or the last one that you picked, I hope it's the last one, um, even if you're still on that journey. But you probably walked in and kind of felt like a stranger. You felt like a foreigner the first time or two that you went there. And for us, as I didn't, I don't think there should be any church, I mean, we'll have this kind of natural reaction of getting to know people, but I think there should be this real mindset is that we're no longer foreigners, we're no longer strangers, but if we walk into Bible-believing Christian churches all around the world, that there's a sense of brother, we're walking in with brothers and sisters, and we shouldn't be ashamed of who we are, we shouldn't, we shouldn't kind of have to put on a mask, we, we should realize that we're no longer foreigners, we're no longer strangers, but we're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So our identity has changed. And not only our personal identity, but our corporate identity, and that we're a part of a household. Like, welcome, welcome to the family, you know? It's just that kind of feeling. And like, some of us, we, we you know, we, we eat uh, from, at the family's house, we, we drink at the family's house, we have fun at the family's house, but, but we never take on the identity of the family. The identity uh, never gets lived out. My identity has changed just in, in my life. You guys feel like that's weird. Like, oh, did you change your name? Get a weird past? Everybody wonders that about a church. Like, does this pastor have some creepy past that we, we don't know about? Um, my identity has changed as a person. When, when Taryn and I were dating, um, and I think we had gotten engaged, and, and I'd ask her this question. I'm like, babe, I don't want you to change. I don't want you to ever change. You're not going to change, are you? Like, when we get married, you're not going to morph into something else. And, like, when you have a baby, you're not going to turn in some weird mom, are you? And you remember this? I would ask her, I would say, I hope you don't do that. But the funny thing is that we do change. My life has been, it's transformed. My identity's not just wrapped up in me as an individual, but it's wrapped up to me as a husband. It's wrapped up into me as a father. And, and I, don't, I don't despise that. I love that. It's changed my life for the better. And, and so my identity has changed, not just in, in my personal identity because of my relationship with God, but in my household, my identity has transformed in, in, in such a beautiful way. And our identity as believers, as God's household, transforms. Like we find ourselves unified in the body. Let's continue in this verse 19, or verse 20, excuse me. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, men inspired by God to do his work, built on the found, they were the foundation with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. How many of you guys ever played Jenga? I want to get one of those really big Jingas. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of like the, the bars and pubs and stuff have them around here. Think of Jenga and think of Jesus as that bottom corner. If you've played Jenga, you know you don't grab the bottom corner first or ever. You don't grab the bottom corner because why? The whole tower is coming down and then you're like, Jenga! You're like creeping everybody out with it. Um, but you don't pull the bottom corner. That's the cornerstone. You don't pull that out because the whole thing's coming down. And we begin to think, we begin to build this tower without Jesus as the cornerstone. We begin to build our lives without Jesus as the cornerstone. And he becomes just a piece that's kind of loose in the middle that if something happens or we need to change something with our life, it's Jesus. We're popping him out. If something needs to change in our life or our time's crunched and we're stressed, what are we, what are we pushing out of our schedule? It's, it's the church. And he's not the chief cornerstone. Again, you can't have the head without the body. You can't host the groom without also hosting the bride. It's the first thing. He's not the chief cornerstone. So if, if we're, we're going to be built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself at the cornerstone, let's make sure in our lives that our identity is not just kind of left out on its own, but it's built on the foundation. And with the chief cornerstone is Christ Jesus. Let's go to verse 21. I've got several texts we're getting to today. This is the biggest one to me. In him, the whole building. I want you to notice how many times the word in him shows up. I want you, there's two verses here, 21 and 22. They're almost identical. There's some very small differences, and we'll point those out. But I want you to see the symmetry in these two verses. When someone says something twice, when someone says something twice, you either think that they have an issue, they have an issue, or you think they're trying to get something home. They're trying to get something home, right? I'm saying it multiple times. I'm going to say it multiple times. <laughs> I'm going to get it through. So he's saying it twice, so let's follow that uh, understanding here. In him, the whole building, identity. In him, the whole building, identity. Not only in him, but the whole building is joined together, unity, and it rises to become maturity. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. That there was a process. I have, to, I have to ask you a question. Like, if you've been a believer for a really long time, if you've been a believer for six months, a year, like, what's changed in your life? Like, what process has changed? Like, what have you changed your theology on? Because God has revealed himself that you realize that you were actually trying to make something more beneficial for yourself or easier for yourself, or you were reading something in scripture, and God's revealed something in you that is wrong, that needed to change. We're rising to become, because we're joined together, there's something about the being joined together that helps us to change and to rise to become. I watch a lot of football, watch a lot, a lot of basketball and sports, and it's funny. They have these combines. They just had the NFL combine a little while back. They just had an NBA combine, and it's all these guys that get together, and they jump higher. You know, they, they just do, like, straight jumps. They, they do these shuttle runs. They do all these kind of skills training. They measure, and they're measuring people up against each other. If they, I, I guarantee you, if they were to do results with one person in the room without all the people in the room, the results wouldn't be as good. The results are better when you have people standing around watching, pushing you, pushing you to the next level. You don't go into the gym and work out by yourself a lot, or you want somebody screaming in your face. You, you probably don't want that, but if you're going to get better results, you'll probably do that. And, and, and like in our relationship with God, when we're joined together, when we're working together, when we have encouragement and unity, there's some that we can see more progress and growth. So if we see ourselves stunted in our relationship with Christ, if we see ourselves stunted in, in kind of immaturity and in, in immature patterns that we can't get out of, let's see if we're joined together. Let's look at the second verse and look how much it looks just like it. And in him, again, identity, 
you too. I, I love the difference here. It was in him, the whole building, so it gives us this corporate look. And this time, because how do we do? Like when we're thinking about something, the pastor's talking to somebody or something comes up, we think of everybody else, right? <laughs> that's, that's for so-and-so. Man, I wish, I wish my coworker could be getting this. I, I hope my husband's hearing this. You know, whatever. We think of everybody else. Paul's like such a good pastor. He's like, no, you too. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. Being built together, built together, joined together, same Greek root here, built together to become, same exact phrasing, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this is not a passive habitation of God's spirit. This is an active dwelling in in which we are participants through obedience. It is an active, active dwelling in which we're participants through obedience with God's spirit. Can you just get a picture for that real quick? If you got a letter from the president that said, I need, to, I need you on a special mission this week, Kyle. Um, you know, I need you to, you know, put all these stamps on these letters. I'd be like, I don't know, I guess I'll push everything outside. The president gave me a letter. I guess I'd better do that. And, and it, think of this with, the, with God, and with the spirit, that we are active participants. If we obey those things, we are getting to participate in his mission in the world. It's an active participation. And some of us, we just think, oh, God's spirit comes here, and that's kind of the end of it. But no, it, it, it's, we're supposed to be vessels. Holy vessels, as the scripture says. Holy temples. A dwelling, an alive dwelling that God can flow through. I heard it said this week, um, it, just in this idea of purity and, and kind of holy temple, um, is if you went into your kitchen to pick a, a dish to use to, to have a glass of water or whatever, you're not going to go for the dirty dish unless it's the last one. You're like, oh, whatever. And, unless we've just lowered our standards on what's clean, right? We do that in our own house sometimes. But um, we, we're going to go for the clean dish. We're not going to the cabinet and looking for a dirty dish. No, we'll throw that back in the sink. We'll throw it back in the dishwasher. We want the clean. And if we want to be used of the Lord in his mission and as part of his kingdom and participating in that, God's looking. He wants to use a clean vessel. He wants to use a clean vessel. Um, and so let's, let's move on from this for a second. Just see this idea that it's about participation through obedience to what God's saying in the Spirit. And it's not just a passive one in which the Spirit, this is just a house, but it is an active through obedience, that God wants to use you to comfort people. He wants to use you to celebrate with people. He wants, you, wants to use you. And, and it's funny, I just kind of imagine all these scenarios in which we talked about one of the definitions is that the church is the light of the world. I, I, there's all these scenarios in which I think we, as a church, we're probably in, in our jobs or our schools or um, maybe your home, you're the only light that's there, and there's probably all these God conversations that pop up all the time, and, and sometimes we just kind of turn them off, and like the reason we are there is to participate with what God is doing in that very moment. And you may sometimes get frustrated by your environment, if it's not the most positive, it's not the most encouraging, most God-honoring environment, you may get frustrated just trying to do your best, but we get this joy of participating with what God is doing in the earth. It's an incredible joy. So we're going to look at, at this second part of it. And I think as we understand, if you think of a kid, like they're always asking why. Why, mama? Why? 
And I think for us, that, that's a question we have to ask about this. Why, why does God's Spirit dwell in us? Because we are active participants. Again, we're looking at that. And so let's look at, at this second passage in, in Acts chapter 6, in, in which we see the disciples are kind of learning in ministry. I've got to be honest, this, this scripture is like where I'm at right now, organizationally in our church, trying to uh, understand this better and better. So Acts chapter 6 and we look at, at the disciples, um, we'll, we'll just read it and then we'll comment on it. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, that's to say the Greek Jews, among them complain uh, against the Hebrew Jews uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to a soup kitchen or handed out food to the homeless, um, but there can actually, the last time we did here for, when we did here for good, our group that went down and fed the homeless, they said it got pretty crazy because people were arguing because there wasn't enough pizza. So you can kind of get this picture for those of you that were there. See, this is going on. They're, they're upset. They complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. food. Let's go all the way through. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of word, of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicor, Timon, and Pumba. I mean, Timon and Parmenius <laughs> and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. People from uh, other faiths. And if you look at this next one, go, go, keep going. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed. They laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large, before it was increasing, now it's increasing rapidly, and a large number of priests from other faith became obedient to the faith, that they were even impacting leadership of, of Judaism. It's pretty powerful, because of the embodiment of the gospel, and uh, so many of you have probably heard the principle, the 80-20 principle. That means that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. I've been really proud since our church launched that we haven't embodied that principle. But it's because we're very consistently saying we need you. If the gospel is going to move increasingly, rapidly, we need you. It, you, you don't have everything, nor do I, but you got something. You got time, you got energy, you have wisdom, you have knowledge, you have skills, you have muscles, you have a good look and smile, whatever it is, you know how to make coffee, whatever it is, we, we need you. I think if we're going to embody, embody the church, if we're going to embody that, and I'm not just talking about in this building, I'm talking about the definitions out of this, to be a light to the world that we've got to get to this place where we're taking on in order for the gospel to increase. So why is the Spirit joining us? So that the, all of these men filled with the Holy Spirit. So that they could help the gospel go forward. It wasn't a matter of what's, uh, what's a greater thing to do. It was a matter of the gospel going forward. It was always about the gospel. And so for us, as large as we grow, whatever we do, we make it about the gospel. We're not going to get off track if we make it about Jesus, about people meeting Jesus, about growing in their walk with Jesus. So I would come to the table every week just to remind ourselves this is why we're here. In, in, in lieu of, of taking it once a quarter, once a month, we want to come every week and just be reminded, God, we need you. This is why we're here because of what you've done, what this represents. Our participation is in the gospel of Jesus. And so like this early church, my prayer for us is that we would involve ourselves 
we would make it our duty, our household duty and responsibility to, to, to help lift up the tent, the whole body joined together. And, and look, we're not perfect. Like if you start getting involved, you're going to find out faster and faster, we're not perfect. So let me just save you the shock, okay? Everything's not perfect, okay? We, we've never claimed that. But, but you can help us embody the gospel in a greater way. You can help us embody perfection or maturity in Christ greater and greater. But it takes a lot of people to do it. And I believe that God is going to bring us into a season of increasingly rapid movement of making disciples and, and Jesus followers. But we need people that are going to buy in and, and just help move the mission forward. So uh, let, let's go to our final scripture today. And, uh, and the third part that, that we really need to dive into is where the spirit is. Not only is there freedom, but there's fruit in our life. There's fruit in our life. Where the Spirit is, there's fruit in our lives. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 and see what it says about this. So I say walk by the Spirit. Paul uses this a lot in, in Romans and really a lot of his, his letters to, the church, to different churches. He, he gives this balance of walking in the Spirit or uh, the Spirit of the law versus the, the, the Spirit of Christ. You know, he gives these a uh, Spirit of life. He, he gives this kind of um, contrasting picture of our lives. So he says, walk by the Spirit. So the Spirit is not just something that, that we house. It's an active walk. Walk is a verb, right? Walk, is work a, walk a, a verb? I've already told you I'm not good at science. Can you help me out with English? Is walk, walk's a verb? Okay. And as far as I understand, walk, verb means action, right? So I say walk by the Spirit. Some of us have just been housing, but we want to actually walk with the Spirit. It's personal nature. That God is inviting us into his work in our daily lives. Not on Sundays. Every day. Every day that ends with why, right? Every day. He wants us involved in what he's doing. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Keep going. Let's read through. Verse 17. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. That there is a battle going on back and forth. And some of us want to have our cake and eat it too, so we're only half in bondage. We're, we're only half doing what God wants. For the flesh desire was contrary to the spirit, and the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It's funny that life in the flesh has the appearance of freedom but the essence of slavery. And life in the spirit has the, the appearance of slavery but the essence of freedom. I don't know about you, I, I want the essence. I think we get caught up in the rules and law keeping. And again, if we fall into that, we're really living by the flesh. That's what he's saying here. You're not under law. There's no law against this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity. Don't start doing what, what I was saying earlier, what Paul, um, or what, uh, yeah, was said in, in Ephesians, like you too. Like, remember, the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Okay, now we're not looking at anybody else now. Now we know we're talking to me. Dissensions, factions, 
and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not have all that God wants you to if you live by the flesh. And let's wrap this up. I've got this marked right in front of my desk. Right in front of my desk, I've got a list of these. And they've got a list. Go ahead and go to the list, if you will. I've got a list of these. But the fruits of the Spirit, there is fruit. Wherever the Spirit is, there is fruit in your life. And a lot of us want the fruit, but we don't want to obey, <laughs> you know? Last night I was, I was laying in bed, and um, I'd been working uh, in the afternoon, and my back was hurting real bad, and my wife, I, you guys know I'm stubborn, my, my wife uh, said, babe, do you want me to go get you some ibuprofen? No, babe, I'm good, I don't want you to do that. And I just kept complaining about it. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago, about complaining. Um, and she kept saying, go down there. And I just didn't want to say yes, right? I wanted my pain to go away. I wanted to keep complaining about it, but I didn't want to say yes to her serving me. A lot of us in our obedience, we think it's about us doing something, but it's really about us letting God do something. It's about letting my wife get up and go get me ibuprofen so I can be healed. So I won't have fits of rage, but I'll be filled with patience. So I won't have selfish, selfish ambitions, but I'll have gentleness and faithfulness to his mission and his call. It's not about what you can do. It's about allowing him. It's about being a vessel in which he can do through you. You are a participant with God through his spirit in this world. And whatever that looks like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I put that right in front of my desk, right over my laptop, so I can see, are these in your life? Are these in your life? Paul said you can have tongues of angels. You can, you can prophesy. You can heal the sick. But if you don't have love, you're missing the whole kit and caboodle, man. There will be fruit on our lives as we come, learn to walk in step. Go back to the scripture for me. I, I missed the last verse, and I want to end on it today. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's live by the Spirit. Look, I, I'll put together plans and visions for our church for the next five years. I could write them down. I can give them to you. Actually, I have them written down. But when people ask me where we're going, I said, I just want to walk with Jesus every day. I just want you to do the same. I said, if we can just learn to keep in step with the Spirit on a daily basis, God's going to blow up our plans anyway. God's going to, he's going to rock our world. And so I just want to learn to be faithful right now and keep in step with his spirit right now. And some of you are at crucial moments in your life. You're at pivotal places in which God wants to have you walking into the fullness of Christ and to helping to make disciples wherever you're at, your workplace, here at Fathom, at home, at school, wherever it's at, the grocery store. He wants you involved. He wants to use you. I mean, isn't that a pleasure? He wants to do some work in us to get the fleshly desires out so that we wouldn't just have the appearance of freedom, but we'd have the true essence of freedom. He wants us to encounter that. Some of us are in bondage today and need that freedom. Some of us need a real relationship with Jesus, and you feel like foreigner, you feel like stranger, and today's the day that you can encounter Jesus. You can start a fresh relationship with Jesus. I believe that God wants to have you in his household today. 
He wants you a part of the mission to, to rise to become a holy temple, to rise to become a building joined together, a dwelling for a spirit. Just stand and pray with me today. God, I want to be so close to your heart today. That's my prayer, is that I wouldn't operate my flesh or my own desires, but I'd operate in your spirit. God, help us to keep in step with what you're doing today, God. I know that every person across this room, in the sound of my voice, God, you're calling them to make a step today. Not a step backward, not a step sideward, but a step forward to keep in step with your spirit, God. Lead us in, God. Draw us closer, God. And come like a rushing wind, God. We want more of you today. We want more of you, God. For those that are far from you, I pray they'd feel your closeness in this moment. God, for those that are hungry for more, you'd help them press in for more today. God, help us to be at rest in the identity that you've given us and called us to. We're going to call you forward for a table response and prayer response here in just a moment. But I just invite you just to allow the Spirit to do His work in your life right now and just dive deeper into worship in this moment.